Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. What will it ever take <laughs> for Camille to admit that cops are being racist? Had they said— It's not enough. Had they said, like, where are you going, boy? I might give that, <laughs> I might give that sort of a 30% chance. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. My name is Camille Foster. I do all kinds of incredible, important things at a place called Freethink. This is August 2nd, 2018. I don't remember what episode number this is, but we've been doing this for a very long time. And by we... I am referring to Matt Welch, editor-at-large at Reason Magazine, who's back in the motherfucking building. It's been a long time. He's back in the building. Did I miss like a month straight? Well, yeah, because I think we had a couple of dark weeks. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see. And then before that was the, uh, the legal episode that I don't think you were on as well. No, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah I got I to gotta catch up. Our I Supreme hope. Court spectacular. <laughs> All I know is that the fans out there really want uh, Camille to finish his story. Oh, about, yes. being, uh, about being racially profiled. We'll, Go back to episode we'll, 107. We'll get there. Is right. that, oh, is that where this is episode 108? This is 108, yes. Huh. Just checked. Yeah. All right. Hey, somebody's calling. Yeah, someone's calling. It. Who could that possibly be? It's Handyman Negri. Is that you, Michael Moynihan? It is. Hey, hey. it's Michael Moynihan, Vice News Tonight. He is uh, He's I'm on the really Skype. Yeah, I'm, I'm Skyping from like way, what exotic locale wow. am I? I'm in the um, Hasidic neighborhood of South Williamsburg. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Infiltration. Yes. As it flies, I think I'm two miles from you guys, but wow. I had some home obligations that I had to take care of. So yeah, That's, that is a weird euphemism for masturbation. That's strange. <laughs> what do you want me to call do it? in the studio? <laughs> There are people listening to this in cars with their children, their <laughs> annoying, yeah. whinging children. Yeah. And I talk about that stuff. They don't know about Spank and the Monkey. <laughs> trust well, trust me, Aaron. Mom and dad, they do. They, they don't do know, know about choking the chicken. Mom, mom and dad aren't talking to them guys, about it. What were you guys know. talking about when I called well, in? We, I've, we were actually just getting started. So what? I hadn't, I had I'd yet to say that our good friend, Anthony Fisher, who is the, now I forget his position again <laughs> at the week, because I don't have notes in front of me. It was going so well. What do you do there? You're a senior, senior editor. editor at the week. Yeah, yeah. it's hard, man. Look, I remembered though. It came to me right before you said it. I said senior editor. You said it. And to you answer your question, Moynihan, uh, they spent 20 minutes <laughs> talking about two-factor authentication on Anthony's goddamn phone. No, we, it's actually my MacBook. So we weren't really talking about it. I was fixing about. Anthony's phone yes. because he is a technological nincompoop. <sighs> and, and but listen, Camille is our own personal genius bar, and he loves that's, he that's loves racist. doing that work. The notion that you could own me. Is I don't own the Genius Bar. Who owns Can the Genius you, Bar? You, you understand the that, the, that, that the patter at the beginning of the show is supposed to be interesting? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been I gone a month. I forgot how it works. It's, <laughs> we're scratching our own itches here. We're scratching our yeah, own yeah, itches yeah. here. You know so, what? Nobody wants to uh, see you put ointment on your itches. So <laughs> talk about something else. <laughs> so, so we've got we've got a bunch of stuff going on. Um, I suspect that we could start for everything by, <laughs> by getting Welch to tell us a little bit about about France. Apparently, he didn't go to Paris though, so I don't even know if I care to hear about that. Moynihan, I know you just got back from. A very important shoot with wonderful cast of characters, and yeah. maybe you have some things that you can share about that. I don't know if that piece is there yeah, yet. Yeah, I can share a few things about that. I mean, 
Did, Matt, did you not go to Paris because um, you heard it was one giant no-go zone? <laughs> just there are people in the streets. There's Sharia law there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I actually, uh, what's that? What's that freak, freakazoid's name with the fake think tank um, who is scared of Muslims? I know there's a lot of people that. Yeah. Yeah, I need more. <laughs> it's like Frank Gaffney. What's it, what's it, God, what's his name? Frank Gaffney. The, Frank Gaffney. Yeah. I saw him uh, buying popcorn yesterday. Um, <laughs> what have you been doing? Yeah, well, I'm doing a story, and you know, I usually don't mention um, what they're about or anything because I think that the PR people get mad, but they don't listen to this. So, um, but no, this is only a promotional thing. So, I think on Tuesday, I think it's going to air on Tuesday uh, on the um, nightly show that uh, we have there on uh, on the HBO is uh, doing a uh, piece on uh, Dinesh D'Souza. Oh boy! And uh, so I spent like three days uh, with Dinesh D'Souza as his new movie uh, is uh, opening called uh, The Death of a Nation. Um, so the, the, I described it actually when I was talking to uh, Dinesh D'Souza. The poster has, uh, has a visual portmanteau, which is a combination of Donald Trump morphing into Abraham Lincoln. So you can imagine the premise of the movie. And um, so... Uh, that that should be it's crazy, though. And the reason that this is, I think, an interesting piece is that if you look at the top 10, like on Box Office Mojo, the top 10 political docs of all time, like five of them, um, uh, the gross is is enormous is over 100 million dollars. Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 and I think four other Michael Moore movies and three Dinesh D'Souza movies. Really? Yeah. People don't realize that these things like the Obama's America one. I think took in 33 or 34 million dollars at the box office. Wow. So this kind of trolling, um, which I put to him too, and to say that you're trolling, this kind of trolling is making him a lot of money as opposed to when he used to be like, have his little sinecure at Hoover and write sort of semi-academic books about race and PC on campus and everything. Um, he's just turned into this thing, which, which is much more lucrative. So it'll be a pretty interesting uh, piece. And um, we did two two longish interviews. Uh, my producer just emailed me and said the transcript is 35 pages. Um, Holy cow. and they're, they're pretty, they're pretty, um, bloody. So it should be, it should be fun. And particularly Matt, you'll, you'll enjoy. And I, um, think we're going to, I'm going to try to convince them to post the whole, just the whole exchange of this uncut online is our exchange about George Soros. Oh, right. Uh, Cause he's a big like Holocaust, uh, George Soros, Soros participated in the Holocaust enthusiastically at age 14 guy. Yes. And right. then when you you're call, not actually you're not endorsing that theory, Matt, just to the, be clear, the theory is is inaccurate. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very kind way to put that. At the very least, it's inaccurate. But the funny thing about it is that when you press on the 14 year old thing, they, everyone says, no, I, I understand 14. But, you know, he's really not apologetic about it today. And because of the 60 minutes interview in which um, he talks about Steve Croft in like 1998 and it's a kind of an awkward moment cause he's kind of aspy. I mean, it's a, he's a bit of an awkward character. Um, and his response is a bit stilted and weird, but in no way does it mean he was enthusiastically, um, uh, participating in, in the Holocaust, but it's a very strange exchange. The, uh, the, uh, the thing that D'Souza. you hear about D'Souza, um, when people who like him and there, and there are obviously enough to, to fill theaters, uh, is that he's got a really sharp mind. He's a great debater. You can't, you, you can't compete against him. So since you went toe to toe with him in the ring, Moynihan, with your quick, uh, wits and your Moynihan faces, which I think you've already <laughs> sent us at least two, I sent, I sent you a couple. <laughs> which are great. Um, but, uh, 
how is he at that, at the uh, skilled? Is that just, you know, is it the kind of thing where people uh, are giving him the same credit that the people uh, over credit that they give to British people because they have British accents? They go, oh, my God, brilliant. Uh, is that the, the same kind of thing with the Sousa or is he actually pretty good in the ring? Uh, it's funny because you say British accents and it, um, I mention him once in a while because, you know, for obvious reasons, but, uh, Christopher Hitchens once, I asked him who is the toughest person to debate on religious matters. And, um, D'Souza wrote a book about, you know, uh, Christianity, like why you should believe in God in the afterlife kind of thing. And he said he was quite good. I mean, that, that, you know, he ultimately loses these things according to Hitch, but you know, he was quite good at it. Um, and I found him sort of mediocre to be honest. Um, He's, a, he's, and again, people always make fun of me for this, but he's a really lovely guy. And, um, we had a, and, and even my producer and camera guys, they were like, yeah, he's a really, he's actually a really nice guy. And he, he intervened to allow me to get a, an element of this, um, story, which is, um, I got a little, uh, brief amount of time, uh, with Donald Trump Jr. Uh, yesterday. And so that was because, uh, D'Souza was very, very, very nice. And, and he didn't talk to any other media. There was media. Um, at this film premiere, and he brought him over to me, which I really appreciated. But uh, as far as a debater is concerned, um, I, it's harder to debate things when you don't really believe them. And I don't know if he really believes this stuff, because I think that, I mean, what kind of I got the sense of when talking to him is that, you know, um, he kind of broadly believes in it, but the pointy-headed academic stuff doesn't get us anywhere. Um, so you have to uh, throw a lot of elbows and kind of you know, smooth out those jagged edges of arguments and like make them kind of, you know, obvious to people, um, you know, the Democrats are Nazis. And if you think that's a, that's an overstatement that is, and he, he admitted it to me, he didn't say, no, no, no you're not, not, you're misunderstanding. Um, there is a, the democratic party is the heir to, uh, the Nazi party or, or, or various fascist parties. Uh, so I don't, I know it's a subject I, I know a bit about. So, um, I don't know if he was expecting to actually get into the weeds on 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 fascism and um, whether these comparisons were right or not. But but it was fun um, for sure. But when you have to cut this down, I mean, I mean, we probably went for a couple hours um, to, oh, wow. on two separate occasions. And now I see that Donald Trump, your interview subject, after you've trained him, uh, Donald Trump Jr. is out there saying that uh, that uh, really, if you look at it, the Democratic Party platform is just immediately, immediately makes you think of the Nazis. Um, from you know, uh, did he tweet, did he tweet this? Yeah, he tweeted this today. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, shit. Because all right, I thought I was gonna have the exclusive on that. <laughs> <laughs> he just uh, tweeted uh, it out. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and on, by the way, on my flight to New York from um, from um, DC today, um, I was sitting across from his girlfriend. Uh, who incidentally was not in first class and was getting a yellow cab. It's like <laughs> she was in the cab line too. I was Oof. like, don't you have an SUV and first class friend? You're dating a Trump. What's going on here? Wow. Uh, well, the, Fox, the Fox News lady there. Yeah, Kimberly Guilfoyle. Wow. wow. How far that is. Mighty have fallen. Former first lady of uh, San Francisco. Well. I mean, that's, that's actually sad. Like I, Suddenly, Camille, you got Camille's it, attention here. She's not wow. first class. Hey, uh, just so you know, Camille, she wasn't Comfort Plus. <laughs> <laughs> so you do actually don't have, you don't have to pay for the vodka soda that you get at eleven in the morning. But um, other than that, it's just a slightly mm. bigger seat. Um, yeah, that was that was the most surprising thing. Oh. Is she was uh, she was uh, flying or not in first class. I mean, but, but when you say uh, but when you say the combination of her being uh, comfort on the way out that she was no longer at Fox News because she was, um, according to 
a piece in the Huffington Post that Matt sent around. She was uh, accused of sexual harassment, actually. Isn't that right, Matt? Uh, I, yeah, I think so. Or, or, or sharing inappropriate uh, like messages and conversations, that kind of thing, um, by uh, Yashir Ali, I think, wrote that, right, at the, uh, at the HuffPost? Yeah, who's, who's uh, by the way, a very good reporter. Yeah, he does. A, I mean, he really, he's, he's kind of come out, uh, like in the past couple of years, as this really scrappy, um, um, sourced-up media reporter. He's very good. Yeah, the the media reporter uh, like position, which was really strong like 10, 15 years ago, uh, has uh, has kind of degenerated over time. And he's one of the best uh, only good ones uh, that are still out there, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. So, yeah, that's more than I ever talk about these things because I'm not really supposed to. But I was I was um, I'm excited for this one. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough edit because it's a lot of stuff. But um, but I hope people watch it. Good. I'll yeah. tweet about it too. So. It'll be very informative. A lot of a uh, lot of things people need to learn about the uh, the Nazis and their <laughs> connections to uh, contemporary. And has, your, and has your diamond and silk run? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did talk to diamond and silk. It was that was pretty funny because uh, <laughs> because uh, someone said to me um, like, "Oh, it's really funny. They don't break character." And I'm like, "Dude, that's not a character." <laughs> <laughs> as real I as it know gets. That one of them is like the Flavor Flav because I've never seen yes, them really. Yeah, uh, and she just kind of was like, "Mm-hmm." Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's like, I'm like, and then the other one is like, but I'll tell you what, they are super funny and like great performers. I mean, like they really know how to turn it on yeah. and they have like big crowds around them and they were funny as hell. And like, I mean, I don't know. I don't listen to the political content of uh, diamond and silks, little uh, soliloquies, but, but they are funny and they are, they are quite, quite the performers. And, and it's an interesting story too, because they're basically, you know, people that were posting videos from their house in um, in North Carolina, and about halfway through this event uh, a couple nights ago in LA, I realized I was talking to a woman who was their manager, Whoa. and um, she's like their handler, and she's like handing them bottles of water. Hell yeah! This, uh, this white woman from Louisiana. Um, wow! And, and, that, like, that's how you like, know they got thing. it going because they got they got white people working for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's the dream exactly. right there. <laughs> Yeah, as the they're talking about the democratic plantation, there's a white mm. woman handing her red glass. <laughs> That's right. Water. That's right. It's better on. It's better on the right side. On the right <laughs> side. <laughs> Did you go uh, black scent at all with them, Moynihan? Just for kind of have to. Yeah. Um, you know, I always make the argument like if I'm doing something, <laughs> people are like, oh, don't do that accent. I'm like, yeah, but if they're walking by and they hear it, they're just like, oh, that's normal. That's how I talk. But I decided that it was probably a bad idea and I didn't want to get fired because they're cameras and microphones. So you, you wouldn't have gotten fired in that, that context. It would, have, that, it would have to be a different context for you to get fired. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, a moon vesi way. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if we should sort of get back to the news or if I should continue that story that I, I forgot to tell last week um, oh. and, and just pick that back up. Should I do that? I think we need that. We need it. Okay. America needs it. Okay. So at the end of last the last podcast, I mentioned that I had a story that I had not shared about me getting into a situation that was rather strange on my way home from the recording. Um, folks don't know, but we tend to finish these recordings quite late. Oftentimes we will be leaving Midtown Manhattan sometime around like 1230 or something like that um, in the morning. Which is not when we finish the podcast. It's not when we finish the podcast necessarily. We might walk out of the studio at 1030 or 11. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes we'll go out afterwards and and have some drinks. But in this particular case, it was around midnight when I left Manhattan 45 minutes into my journey to Bedford-Stuyvesant, where I currently live and where 
you may know Bedford-Stuyvesant from uh, Biggie Smalls lyrics. Bed-Stuy is safer than it was in the 1990s, but it is still among the more interesting places in New York City. It is uh, emergently chic. Uh, is is probably how I'd describe it. There are occasionally murders. It's still authentic. Generally, yeah. Generally, they're closer to the projects, but sometimes they venture a little closer to my home. But that's not really the point. The point here is, at some point in the journey, about 45 minutes in, roughly five minutes away from my house, my Uber gets pulled over. And my immediate thought is, this is annoying as hell. Like, how could he have his papers out of order and still be driving his Uber? And I'm thinking these things as three plainclothes police officers emerge from their unmarked police car. Hey, Camille, can I can I just add a? <laughs> I was in the car with Camille uh, before I hopped yes. out. But our Uber driver, you must uh, remember, <laughs> to have some sort of mental disorder. And He's we an got in, guy. just turned around, started talking. I was like, "Do you mind if I smoke?" Yeah, <laughs> and like just chatting and being weird. So you know, I might have pulled him over too. But <laughs> well, this is the thing, though. I mean, you were in the car when, and so you can attest to this. Was he yeah. driving in any sort of way that seemed unusual to you? Was there anything about the car that seemed unusual? I, I was drunk, so I don't remember, <laughs> really. I mean, there's something that seemed unusual about me, yeah. but, so I don't know. Yeah. No, it I, seemed like a perfectly normal, like a sort it, of... It was a normal, it was a normal ride, and, and the car was normal. It was a later yeah. model, something, another. I could actually tell you if I looked at my Uber receipt. But in either case, we get pulled over. And these three plainclothes police officers, some of you are wondering what their races are, I know. And I, I will just say that it, it's a Benetton ad. It's like a white guy, a black guy, and somebody else. And a lot of colorful, um, colorful and, clothes. Well, they're, they're street clothes. So they're not in their, their NYPD blues. Um, and they come up to, oh, look what I did there, NYPD blues, huh? Um, and two of them are on either side of the front of the car looking at the driver and engaging with him. This is after their sort of flashlights kind of probe the vehicle a bit. And it's where are you going? Where are you coming from? And before I can hear him respond, there's the third officer at my window suddenly. And he's asking me similar questions. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? And I answered, I'm in an Uber with a bit of agitation. And he was slightly agitated as well. But I mean, the cops were pretty cool. I mean, they were doing their they were doing their job. They were professional. They were sort of contextually appropriately authoritative without being like, where the fuck are you going? No, no guns were drawn that I could see. But there was a flashlight in my face. so I couldn't really tell. Um, And he said, yeah, but where are you going? And I said, I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, I might have said I'm not telling you shit, but I don't quite remember. But in either case, I said, I'm not telling you anything. And at that moment, you might have expected this to take a turn, but instead they like immediately withdrew one of the other officers, not the guy who was talking to me, but the one who was right next to the driver sort of taps him on his elbow. They withdraw. They mutter some sort of salutation. And that is it. And I say out loud to no one in particular, but only the drivers within earshot, what the fuck was that? And he mumbles, I'll tell you in a minute. And he just sort of puts the car in the drive and he makes the turn because we were at a stoplight when they stopped us. And he says, they asked me if you were trying to rob me. And um, I'm like a little shocked at that moment. And I start to go through like all of the things like uh, it's a little different when the, the police stop you. And it's not like, oh, it's a traffic stop and things could go wrong. It's it's a stop. And they think you are a violent criminal who probably has a gun. And when those flashlights go over you, when they're peering into the car, when the guy shows up sort of second, 
they're they're trying to see what's going on. And I thought about it and I have my phone in my hand, like and I'm sort of twirling my phone. I have a bag draped over my lap. So my phone is in my hand under my bag. Did you have a waistband? I, I mean, I'm sitting in a you car be dude, alive in, the, in the dark. If like waistband. if I drop my phone, I don't make it home to my daughter. Like there's all kinds of shit that is going through my head. And I spent the interaction was less than three minutes. I mean, it is the most it is the fastest impoundment that I have ever endured dealing with law enforcement. But I went home and I was up for like an hour or two, like thinking about this shit. And quite frankly, like for most of the last two weeks, like I've had frequent occasion to return to this moment and to, to sort of arrive at the point here. I text you guys and I say, like, I just got maybe like racially profiled. That's crazy. Thinking upon it more, however, and having shared the story with a bunch of other people, like I realized, well, Camille, you have no fucking idea what happened. Like you don't, you don't have any tangible evidence that this was like racial profiling or anything else. What you know is it's 1.30 in the morning, you'd gone 45 odd minutes and three plain clothes officers like pulled over the car that you were riding in. Could they tell that you were black? I have no idea. Were they randomly pulling over cars next to the Sumner homes because this is a housing project and that's the kind of shit that they do on occasion? Like do stop and frisk without doing stop and frisk, stop people don't report it, which is a frequent thing that they've been doing since Stop and Frisk has been banned in New York City. Um, it could be that. Um, it could be that they were actually out looking for a car that fit this description because somebody was sticking up taxi drivers or some shit in the area. I don't know. Um, what I do know is there is sufficient reason to be upset about having an encounter like this and to be upset about the police doing what a seems to be like a fairly, it could be anyways, a random stopping of vehicles, interrogating people and creating a circumstance that is pretty friggin' dangerous, potentially not recording this encounter anywhere. And I've spent like a decent amount of time, like making inquiries with the local precinct to try to see, you know, is there any record of what the hell happened to me? Do you guys track this shit at all? Because you're supposed to. Um, and there doesn't appear to be, at least the officers that I've spoken to, the response is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I is don't that know. How, is that how people rob cars? Or like hijack Get into cars? it in an Uber? Like, do you? <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I'm like, I, mean, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how, how this would work. Like it is the way that you carjack by sitting in the back seat while someone else drives, while someone else yeah, has control yeah, over a vehicle. You, uh, it's the way you ride in a cab. <laughs> I mean, these guys obviously know that somebody in the black seat, the back seat of a, a black seat, the back seat of a uh, Toyota Corolla is going to be most likely somebody um, in an Uber, even if it's that late at night. And even if it's bedside, because people out late at night at bedside are two types of people, like people that, you know, just hanging around like corner boy kind of guys. And also all the like hipsters that live there now, too. So, I mean, it's it's both things. Yeah. You know, but but it's not unusual for plainclothes officers to be hanging around housing projects. Um, but there are plenty of things about this that are interesting, like plainclothes officers account for a pretty significant percentage of all police involved shootings um, overall in New York City. We don't know how many plainclothes officers there are in New York City. The, the city is incredibly sketchy about that sort of shit. They just won't talk about it. It's all of the things that one might talk about if one was willing to go beyond wow, what happened to you is racial profiling. There shouldn't be racial profiling in this city. It, it, 
might have been racial profiling. I could speculate about that. So that like, could be the thing that I worry on a about. Scale of, but there are of, plenty of, of other one things to 10. that I think are important. On a scale of one to ten, uh-huh. let's go around the table. Yeah. Uh, Moynihan, uh, if ten being, yeah, dude, that's racial profiling. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this was? Yeah, would you say about ten? I'm sorry, my daughter is here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a definitely a ten. Uh, hello. Yes. Hey. Olivia. With, with Livia. Oh. I don't know what the scale was. It was one to 10 for something, but I think I'm probably going to go with 10, but <laughs> if the question you was like, how would. much do you this is a, the Holocaust or something? Because I don't want to be 10 on that. Uh, <laughs> so, it's kind of like Jeopardy. Yeah. It, so it, the question it was, was uh, on a scale of racial profiling, one to 10, 10 being the highest. Well, I mean, look, you have, as Camille said, you have the Benetton uh, ad of cops I mean, you have uh, like I love the description from Camille is like a, a black cop, a white cop, and then an indeterminate cop. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. <laughs> uh, Hello, Armenian. Yeah, uh, he was Burmese. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so that is androgynous. I mean, it matters, despite the fact that people claim that it doesn't. And I just think that like the issue with cops over there um, in Bedsty, where there's still some you know badness. Um, is that they just like they have nothing to do and they consider everybody suspect at a certain hour of night. And it's just because there's a lot of stuff that happens over there. I mean, I don't know, but it strikes me as very odd that somebody would come up. I mean, also, the other thing is, do you trust the driver? That that was what because yeah. the guy seemed totally insane. Actually, to I, to. I, I do. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I mean, it's just it's the bizarreness. It's the bizarreness of the encounter. I mean, yeah. it is the police showing up stopping us for less than three minutes, asking us both this sort of battery of questions. And the third cop who arrives seemingly in a way as if to kind of be distracting, I don't know. Um, But then afterwards, you know, when he's explaining that they asked him rather surreptitiously, dude, is he robbing you? Are you okay? And then they depart. I saw him do what he said uh, what, what he explained. He said, they asked me if that was the case. I said, no. And I showed them uh, the application on my phone showing that you were a legitimate passenger. I at least saw him do that with his phone, like gesture with it. Um, so it's possible he was doing that for some other reason saying, hey, I'm just an Uber driver. But they know this is what the plates say. It's what the it's what the the documents say in the window. And there was never any indication that they were pulling him over for any other reason. There wasn't a uh, question about or a comment about taillights or, you know, him driving strange. He'd stopped at a stoplight. We were parked across next to the Sumner houses, um, getting ready to make a right turn on. Uh, I think that's Marcus Garvey. All the all the many streets over there have interesting I, names. I think uh, uh, I'm going to go with and we need to li- let uh, Moynihan uh, go and, uh, and and parent here. Uh, but I'm going to go with it's it's late at night in bedside by the projects. Yeah. Let's just let's just stop cars. Yeah. Whether wh- whatever it is, I think there are plenty of things that we can get upset about. And my my main point, the thing that I find most interesting about this is the degree to which when I talk to people about this, I've had a very difficult time persuading them that it is anything other than racism. And I'm not arguing for anything in particular. It's just their immediate conclusion is that this is racial profiling and they are steadfast. And the fact that there's a fundamental civil liberties issue here that could just be broadly applicable to any human being who is stopped for seemingly arbitrary reasons on the street. And it doesn't matter if it's three minutes or less. It is an arbitrary impoundment. It is a seizure of your property, right? 
Like that's a fucking problem because they're armed and shit could go sideways and you could end up dead. And as you said, you were particularly grumpy, super late, and you've been drinking. Fucking ain't right. So and I, like, and I like, never and it, have polite in, interactions with police officer. It doesn't matter what the circumstances. No interaction with the police is ever it, that that is whether it's of your choosing or not is ever like wonderful. Like generally speaking, even if you're desperate for your for their help, there is your, there's agitation and anxiety. If it's a dare program, there's agitation and anxiety because I don't really want to sit through this shit. And occasionally they shoot themselves while they're performing demonstrations and shit. So that could be dangerous. Anyways, I, we've gone on uh, about this very long. I don't know if that story was was inspiring to you people. I don't know if it was worth the wait. It's definitely uh, allowed us to imagine what will it ever take <laughs> for Camille to admit <laughs> that cops are being racist. Had they said it's not enough. Had they said like where are you going, boy? Ben Price, get I on might, that pole. I might give that <laughs> I might give that sort of a thirty percent chance. Had they said had they said, Why are you driving niggers around this part these parts? I might have given it, you know, like eighty odd percent. And had they said, We pulled you over because we don't like your kind driving through here, then I'm back down to say fifty fifty. Yeah. What do you mean yeah, by kind? kind? Yeah, it's open to interpretation you know? for sure. Lots of things that could be. All right, Moynihan, if you're already not uh, gone, get out of here. Uh, he already did. He already he, he texted a few minutes ago. <laughs> I didn't see it. Till now. Well, I, I think he I think he may be coming back. Um, in either case, there are other things beyond my own personal life and the things that are happening in it. Plenty of stuff that we could talk about. There's the uh, the Manafort trial is underway. The uh, the Mueller investigation continues to roll on and Donald Trump has things to say about it on Twitter as well as other things. Um, there's some new uh, concerns uh, about Facebook and Russian interference in the midterm elections. Um, and uh, then there is just sort of the general milieu of outrage and panic, which is ascendant in America, perhaps just fucking dominant, because I don't know that it's ascendant. It, it's, it is our thing. It's perhaps the new normal. And don't forget, paranoiac uh, conspiracy uh, cults. QAnon. Uh, That's not the same thing. That, oh, that's different. That's different than the outrage thing. I thought outrage the outrage and panic. I, I thought the outrage and panic was a different story. Uh, that, I mean, that, that we may me, or may not allude to. For me, perhaps there there are there are different. They are the same thing for different audiences. Mm -hmm. um, but this particular week, uh, we have apparently some additional major league ball baseball players who have gotten in trouble for shit that they tweeted at some point in the past. Oh, I don't yeah. even know that that's true. I just kind of heard it from Fisher, so I presume it's true. Could mm -hmm. turn out I'm wrong. Um, but it's Sarah. Is it Sarah Jong? Jong. Jong. I want to be sure I'm getting the pronunciation right because I don't want to get in trouble. Why start now? Not. Whatever. Yeah. But Sarah Jong is at the New York Times. Uh, she writes about tech things, was hired to, to be a, I, I, was it, she also an opinion columnist? They're uh, hiring her for the, the uh, editorial board. Yeah. She is will it, be on the editorial. So this is the, the second time they've had an issue with an, uh, someone technically inclined who they were hiring for the editorial board. It might even be for the same slot because what I saw was that she's going to be like the technological, the technology writer on the board to meaning there wasn't one before. Yeah. So she got into some trouble because uh, someone has dredged up uh, a bunch of old tweets. The New York Times is standing by their hire as of this moment. That could perhaps change because sometimes these things do. And the rationale that they've offered here is that her tweets are being taken out of context and that the reason for her tweeting these things is because as an Asian woman, she is frequently criticized by trolls on the internet who say awful and racist things to her. Um, that is what the New York Times statement is. She also tweeted something to the same effect. Um, 
I'm sure you gentlemen have seen some of this stuff unfolding. Uh, I looked at some of the tweets, uh, and I'll say this first. There's a little bit, little bit of throat clearing. Uh, my standard perspective on this shit is if you tweet things and they're trite and awful, that's bad, and maybe people will talk bad about you, but you probably shouldn't lose your job for that shit. And people who are freaking out and creating these firestorms over the things that people have written at some point in the past that might have been offensive, may have been a stupid joke, or might just be trite foolishness, like are generally awful people, and it's stupid to do that. That being said, the New York Times has helped to set a standard here um, by, in fact, firing people previously for this kind of thing. Um, and in this particular case, the defense that they offered for her doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense that things have been taken out of context. There's read, a lot of read tweets, one of the tweets you have, you like have in front of you. hashtag cancel white people <laughs> or are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins. These tweets don't appear to be in response to anyone in particular. It doesn't appear to be in res a response to anyone in particular when she said, I just realized why I can't stand watching Breaking Bad or Battlestar Galactica. The premise of both is just white, quote, white people being miserable, unquote. Also, Dumbass fucking white people marking up the internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. I guess she doesn't like grunge music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't, I wouldn't describe these tweets as racist. Like I won't. And, and the reason I won't is because it could be that this is just an attempt at humor and it's stupid and trite humor and not particularly funny. I'm willing to take her at her word. I'm willing to accept that she's probably not a racist monster. I just apply the same standard across the board, <laughs> generally disposed to think people are not miserable humans, and I don't want her to get fired from her job. I don't even really want to talk about this shit. I only talk about it because this is the world that we have created for ourselves, at least that those monsters who keep doing this shit, both the progressives who are sincerely upset in most cases and the conservatives... Mm -hmm and the conspiracy theorists who drudge up these old tweets in order to create controversies to perhaps give the left a, a bit of its own medicine. Um, so, I don't know, I'm doing a bunch of fucking talking my, uh My latest thing is to, when I ever fire up a Twitter, I count how many tweets it takes until you get someone um, basically making the argument that fill-in-the-blank person should be kicked off of Facebook, should be kicked off of Twitter, should be fired from their job because of what they say. Mm -hmm. um, used to be like one out of a hundred. Mm -hmm. um, seriously, look at your Twitter right now. It's going to be one out of the, within the first 15, the first 20. Hmm. People are talking about this. Not Alex Jones shouldn't be able to uh, put videos on Facebook. Uh, you know, if, if we fired Kevin Williamson uh, or unhired him and then, you know, she needs to be unhired as well. And Kevin, to his credit, wrote a, a short piece for the, National Review, Kevin Williamson, if we all remember, was hired for about 12 uh, minutes at the Atlantic. Um, we talked about it, and he's actually been a guest in the show as well. Previously, then they unhired him when they uh, re-rediscovered uh, some uh, things that he had written and said uh, about abortion. Um, and uh, But, like, it's amazing how much it's a feature of our conversation right now uh, is to kind of uh, weaponize people's uh, most— outrageous comments mm -hmm. against them in a way 
to deprive them of either their livelihood or of their ability to get out there. It's a sick culture. It really mm-hmm. is a sick, sick uh, culture that we're with. And it, and it doesn't it's not going anywhere. You could just see from today's argument about it, the way people were talking about it. Um, it's just the conservative side. It's like, oh, you know, it's just the, the, the times are hypocrites. And so we just have they it, are hypocrites. It, they are totally sure. hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Um, that, But that is if, if that is the most important thing about this. Uh, and there is no sense. And there was a, a whole long thread of argument between uh, Kathy Young and Kathy Reisenwitz, uh, Reisenwitz uh, uh, today uh, in which uh, people argue over, well, I mean, come on, uh, you can't call what she uh, wrote racist because it was against white people and you can't be racist against white people, so, which doesn't so uh, bullshit perspective, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah. it, 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 to me, it's it's that clenching that we're in that it seems like it's got like, it's got to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah. Like we've gone through this before now. We've been spending the last two years, three years going through this about every month. Um, and now people are not even trying anymore. There's no like sense of trying to figure out what's the. Uh, you know, what's the group's understanding of what racism is? We're not having that fucking conversation. Uh, you know, what's the group's understanding about what kind of things that you're supposed to be able to say and not say? Right. No, it's not that. It's just it's pure weaponization uh, at this point. Um, uh, and, uh, and and it's gross. I did, the other part I would say, just because I've been on the show in a long time, so I get to talk a little bit more, um, uh, <laughs> is to argue against myself uh, just for one second. Um it's amazing to me how people haven't figured out how to write without editors. Hmm. My God, I've been, I've been, I just turned 50 this week. So I'm old and I'm thinking about being old and happy about it. Yeah, I could do the splits. It's great. Um, but like I've been writing without a net since I was 18 years old. And you can look through every goddamn thing I've written uh, to the extent that it's uh, searchable, which all of it was, and you can't touch me. You can't touch me. You know why? Because uh-huh. I'm not a dick. Because <laughs> I'm not a dick. You could choose not to be a dick. You don't have to talk about white people being goblins under the ground to show that you're like cool and trying to punk someone. You don't have to be a troll. You don't have to be a dick. You don't have to be professionally outrageous to try to make a fucking point. You don't have to do any of that. And everyone does it. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's this weird thing. I don't want her to get any kind of, of it's, it's all ridiculous. She shouldn't get fired. Also, people maybe should think about what would it be like to not be a dick as well and not to and to define what dick means in this context is to make broad, collective, negative judgments about populations of people based on their essential characteristics that they didn't choose. And if we didn't have the word racism to Uh describe that, if we just said negative collective generalizations about people that we don't like uh, about immutable characteristics that they didn't choose, if that was the word. Yeah. That doing that is bad. I, I think there's something. It's about, bad to do that. There's something. There's something to that. Uh, the the notion that we don't have a, another word for that. I, I I would also say though that the Times part of the hypocrisy here is also the fact that the Times and various other publications have sort of uncritically covered some of the rather ridiculous race scandals that have cropped up in recent months, where executives at various companies have been fired for using nigger or nigga in a context that was not at all offensive. And they would say, you know, there are, the headlines might read that someone used racist language or used a racial slur. You, mean, saying the word nigga in context is not using a racial slur. 
You're not aiming the word at anyone in particular. You might even be talking about how it's terrible that someone else said something niggers or something nigga, and that was bad, and they got fired for it. That's a good thing. You could still get in trouble and potentially lose your job for that. Um, and they've been a part of the general woke apocalypse that's taking place right now that has created the hysteria that is that is dominant. I don't doubt that there are people who have ugly racist views. Um, I just don't know that we do ourselves any service by branding all kinds of people who say innocuous or just kind of stupid things that they think are amusing, calling those people racist and then trying to destroy them for it. Um, I just don't get it. Or quoting rap lyrics, which is another thing. And I don't know if you're being a dick when you quote rap lyrics that happen to use particular words that might get you in trouble later. It depends. Can you do that on Twitter? Moynihan or not, but yeah. you can say. We're in a zero tolerance moment where where everybody wants zero tolerance. You know, the, the Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump wanted zero tolerance totally for true. border cr- uh, crossers. Um, there's increasing legislation for zero tolerance towards anything to do with opioids because that's going to solve the problem is, is hmm. over-criminalizing the whole thing. And, you know, the to I, obviously there's there's been... The, the right is kind of having a moment where, you know, or, or the, the, the right that are the trolls that are digging up these tweets, trying to get people fired or having their, hey, if it's good for them, it's it, it's good for us kind of moment. N- nobody really, you know, expects consistency out of, you know, the Mike Cernovich crowd of people who are literally, literally feigning outrage you know, over, you know, uh, certain people being pedophiles because they made really, you know, shit posting jokes 10 years ago when Twitter was really new. But they 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 have this opportunity because of the zero tolerance from the left call out culture uh, where people it's not it's not just enough that everybody on the spectrum of me tooness from sexual assault to they were kind of rude at a party once is needs to be have their career taken away and they need to be depersoned. It's 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 stuff like this. It's fleeting comments. It's bad jokes. It's genuinely racist comments that, like you said, may not be uh, something that should define that person's entire life, that Mm -hmm. they are a racist because they made a racist comment like that. Like, like, could that be true? Could that possibly be true where people have bad moments or bad periods that they grow out of or they or they will they always be this bad person forever? Yeah. And that is something that. I, I I would probably attribute to, you know, it definitely came out of this left call out culture. Um, you know, people want to call it the identity politics culture, but it's absolutely been co-opted by the right. And there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. Uh, I want to sort of put the, the best face on this possible on the, the the movements that have brought us to this moment. So whether it's and, and I don't want to conflate things, but let's just say for people who are interested in identity politics in general, they're trying to highlight historic injustices and oppression, awful things that have happened to people in the past, which do in fact have some ramifications in the present. I, I didn't misstate that. I meant to say it in that way. My, my perspective isn't that it has no ramifications in the present. It's that it is completely impossible for you to disentangle the degree to which what I'm experiencing today is a consequence of things that happened to my ancestors in the past and to what extent it's a consequence of my own actions. It's complicated. I think it's fine to try and alert people to the fact that our past experiences and the baggage that we carry along with us can help to explain some of the differences and outcomes across groups. It might help to explain some 
doesn't help to explain all. I just wanted to to put that on the record because at times maybe it sounds as if, especially in a room where all where we're all agreeing with one another very stridently, there isn't an appreciation for what's trying to be achieved here. Like having some sensitivity about the language that we use so that we don't offend people's sensibility um, or calling out people who are genuinely awful and saying deplorable things. Like there's, there's a place for all of that, but there is obviously a point where you cross a threshold where you're destroying people for saying things that they'd already apologized for, or you're destroying things for saying things that no one in their right mind should actually find offensive um, I, I will say the, the the question that I'd ask you guys is I've I've seen some things floating around that there perhaps ought to be some sort of civil <laughs> penalties um, in the event that you are campaigning or crusading to get people like fired from their job that there should be some sort of laws uh, that are introduced in order to stop people from doing is this. this kind of is thing. this being discussed? I, I mean, I've I've heard some so would whispering it be, would it be about like, this. I can't like I can't define like it. Libel or slander, like perhaps. It, yeah. So, but I what? mean, this is this is not different from say the Majid Nuaz uh, situation yes. a couple of weeks back with the SPLC, where he was on this list. He yeah. was added to a list mm-hmm. saying that he was anti-Muslim. Um, I mean, certainly creating a circumstance where you have the ability to take people to court for making claims like that, I could see someone suggesting on some level that perhaps campaigning to get someone fired for their job for yeah. bad things that they've said well, I mean, becomes like, something that you can't do, that like you, you ought not be able to do. Like how for like how I think we've talked, I don't know, can't remember if we talked about this in the show or like, you know, just in passing, yeah. but like, um, you know, Ken White said, you know, that while he thinks that the SPLC, what they did was, you know, absurd and feckless and that list was irresponsible, uh, this is a bad precedent for a lot of reasons because you can now weaponize the you called me a bad word kind of uh, argument. And Turning Point USA, which had their you know high school conference last week, they have a professor professor watch list of you know leftist professors or people who are indoctrinating people with did, cultural Marxism. So real quick, yeah, yeah. if if you were on that list and you did not self-identify as a cultural Marxist or you've been you know harassed by some of these nudniks because you're supposedly spreading this uh, awful uh, propaganda, do you now have a case against Turning Point USA for putting you on a list and calling you a bad name? Yeah, I yeah, I, that way lies madness. I think. Um, didn't the Coke uh, Network this week go after Turning Point USA and other people they specifically did. by yeah, saying yeah. Hey, like that those lists uh, that way uh, you know McCarthyism lies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and then a, several uh, like a month or two ago, I know that there was a Wall Street Journal op-ed by somebody in the Charles Koch Foundation taking a, taking aim at a different Turning Point USA. Initiative. Yeah, they're uh, they're going after it. It's a, an interesting kind of um, uh, center right libertarian conservative seismic shift. Mm-hmm. I think that has taken place over the last week. Um, so, but that, that that ties into these these lists suing people for being put on lists that you may feel are totally inappropriate, and maybe they are totally inappropriate. Is seems a little bit close to the legislation sure. you were describing, sure. which is that um, if you are now in bad faith weaponizing things I said and trying to get me fired. Like that's a real difficult thing to parse. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, it's a, it's the social mob. Megan Dom, um, LA times columnist who's become like best buds with uh, Barry Weiss wrote a recent piece about that. Um, 
that I think kind of uh, exaggerated the extent of it, but it's worth thinking about that, you know, we all work and live ultimately right now in fear of coming on the other side of the social mob. Again, I don't live in that fear because I obviously uh, live a perfectly clean <laughs> uh, and uh, and sober life, as listeners know well. Um, but like there there is something to that. What if you are on the other end of the of the tsunami, you're screwed. There's just there's not. There is no hope for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in this case, uh, um, you know, the New York Times is probably going to be able to stop it here. Um, but, you know, if it got to the fever pitch that Kevin Williamson received at The Atlantic, mm-hmm. um, like when it, when your core readership uh, hates that person, mm-hmm. uh, which they don't. You it know, felt we, like there was a staff revolt as well. Yes, that was a, a staff revolt. Uh, uh, but... Uh, Final point I want to make on this is that people want to measure this in terms of injury. And you're, Camille, you're bringing up kind of like historical mm-hmm. patterns that have some resonance still today and that we should be mindful of that. And that's kind of putting the best face on on all that approach. And I agree with that. And I agree with those who say, like, come on, uh, uh, you know, it's it, what she was talking about in kind of this hyperbolic style on Twitter about white people Um you know, it's kind of parodic, uh, but like it, it's not directly as measurable as very specifically, let's say, um, uh, trying to say that all immigrants are criminals and then acting upon that in a way that changes policy, let's say, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not it's not it's it's not active in the the, the policy game. There isn't, um, uh, you know, it's just it's a different category of thing. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I, the, I don't need you to agree with that. As, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I understand. I don't need you to agree with every fact of the way that I described that thing. Yeah. Right. I'm saying that, that there is a live yes, othering some, that's happening right now to traditionally disadvantaged communities. That's having a translation in policies that we're living through right now. We mm-hmm. wouldn't be separating fucking three-year-olds from their parents at the border if they hadn't been and haven't continued being, um, uh, presented in a way that is very, very deliberately otherizing. It wouldn't be happening, I don't think. But we uh, were. Do, I mean, we've talked about this before, and and I don't. It's not I, a we, false equivalence. I don't think to point it's out not that in twenty fourteen. It's not important. We were putting people in cages, like with their children. Yes, on the border, it, but it wasn't because of otherizing. It, uh, or it was. Like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure if, if that. I mean, if you want to go down a, a 25 minute rabbit hole on <laughs> on the ways that every single maybe time not. the Trump, Trump administration talks about immigration, uh, maybe they not. always maybe exaggerate not. in the direction of everyone's from MS-13 at X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. They're sending us their worst people. The lottery system is based on um, they find their worst people and they put them in the law, all, all of which is untrue. Mm-hmm. Every single bit is untrue. Um, and uh, and it, it it makes it easier to pass policies that are. Deliberately, deliberately dehumanizing, uh, uh, not de- uh, dehumanizing, but like damaging to human beings sure. as a deterrence policy. Sure. And so an to, the, to the extent they're injurious, policy. they will say, well, don't break the law then. Correct. Don't break the law then if you don't want those bad things to happen. I to only you. bring it up not to adjudicate that, yeah, but just yeah. to sort of say that there, there are real world applications here that are a little bit different than someone shit tweeting about white people being goblins. Um, this is th- this. this so sure. I, I get that, and, that and, and, I, and I don't dispute any of that. But uh, I think that we, we tend to, and by we, I mean not we, um, but people are right now in the middle of the social mob uh, type of, of thing, there is an over-focus on 
the bruises that it leaves. I mean, Kathy Reisenwitz uh, even says, you know, show us on the doll, white people, where it hurts you so bad. Um, uh, this is one, one of the comments. That, and I think that's thinking about things wrong. Part of it is sympathetic and you're trying to figure out who are marginalized populations who've been on the butt end of this and we want to be sympathetic and empathetic, all of which I, I get that. But one of the biggest problems with that line of thinking, uh, the th line of thinking that collectively demonizes an other is not necessarily that it lands an injury on someone who's prone to bruising. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem lies in your own brain. When you think like this, when you when you uh, ascribe uh, collective demerits to a population based on their national origin, based on their gender, based on their anything, um, you are making a description error. You are doing bad journalism. You are thinking bad. It's bad on you. You're spreading badness in the world. The world is a worse place because of what you're doing in that moment. Um, and I think that's worth thinking about or, or talking through in a way that people don't. That's one of the objections to it uh, is not just that it, it lands a bruise. It's like, no, it's just that you're wrong. What you're describing in this collective demonization, it's just like Hillary Clinton is wrong to describe everyone as, you know, 47% of the, of the country as deplorables. You are ascribing this here and you're contributing to a wrongness in the world and you're being a bad person while you do it. All right. Well, we can we can move away from that. Um, but but perhaps sticking with the social media shit for a little while. Um, earlier this week, we got some word um, from Facebook that they had identified something like 32 pages and fake accounts. Um, and they did not say at the time that those accounts were associated with the Russians, but that they were seeing the same patterns, which they didn't at that point describe in any sort of way, um, that were consistent with the patterns of use that the Russians were using. One would suspect that, that means there's like VPNs and that there are fake names being attached to these profiles. So these folks are trying to be anonymous. Um, but what these pages were doing, it seems uniformly was creating events Events like pro counter protests to what appears to be a follow up, a sequel to the Unite the Right rally that happened in Charlottesville, where there was uh, uh, this tragic death that took place, um, a murder, uh, quite frankly, a vehicular homicide. Um, and there is supposed to be some second rally in Washington, D.C. These websites were promoting counter protests. Um, as it turns out, uh, the most recent reporting I've seen, uh, and I saw some reporting at Gizmodo about this, actually, uh, at least some of the accounts that they got rid of, there are Americans who have come out and said, hey, those are our accounts. Like, we don't like Nazis and we were going to counter protest and you just took our shit down Facebook. Um, and yeah, we're anonymous. We're anarchists. We don't want to use our real names. Does that mean you have to take our shit down Facebook? Uh, I haven't seen any official response from Facebook on this. Um, however, all of this did sort of occur at the same time, or at least it occurred before many of the sort of similar voices on Capitol Hill started to pipe up and talk about the upcoming midterm elections and how they were vulnerable and how the Trump administration wasn't doing enough. And oh my God, Russia, they're totally going to destroy us. Look, they're doing the same thing again. Um, and by the same thing, again, one has to put this bullshit into context. The fact that the Russians were running 
ads during the election and after the election that there was something like 3.5 million impressions of these ads, most of which occurred after the election had already taken place, um, and something like $150,000, $200,000 that were spent on Facebook advertising by the Internet's research agency, by some Russian trolls and in other contexts, and potentially on like Twitter and shit. Granted, the campaign spent many multiples of that on social media and in other places, something like $100 million on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in either case, there is the same sort of hysterical nonsense taking place again. Um, even the Trump administration uh, earlier today, they had their White House um, press press briefing and the there was a great deal of talk about the White House's Foreign Influence Task Force. Um, and it was ramping up its operations so that it could take on the Russian threat. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else there is to say about sort of this really hysterical, perpetual panic related to the Russian interference in the United States election. It certainly doesn't seem like the sort of thing that one ought to ignore. I think it's fine to note that the Russians might be creating propaganda websites. Um, the hysterical response seems to be completely out of proportion I think, well, to what they're actually one able thing, to do. Like the, 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 Facebook, the Facebook propaganda stuff, I do agree, is out of is the proportional uh, response and reaction to that is out of control. Uh -huh. But you're missing a lot of what Russia did as well. They, Tell they, me. they did hack into many states' electoral rolls, and they exactly. got people's personal information. Sure. Right? And they did attempt to— They. It's not they, generally what we're talking about, though. No, but that's, yeah. that is— No, but like, that's what we should— Yeah, uh -huh. we, sh we, we should make a, a legitimate clean, consequence. Uh -huh. We should make a clean separation between social media shit um, and— uh, and trying to hack into voter rolls and and voting uh, situations. One thing, and which they tried to, but as far as I, I can tell, and I haven't followed it that closely. But even with the indictments about uh, from uh, the Mueller investigation on this kind of thing, it's mostly been attempts. Uh -huh. like they they came through. They didn't actually affect or change anything having to do with voting in 2016. Right. Well, we right? don't know that though. In the, okay. in the states where they did, they did, they, they, they attempted something like over 30 states. They got into about 20 states and we don't know what they did with that. They, they there could have been people taken off the rolls who showed up on the, on the polling date and were told, oh, you were not registered in this district. They, Although they, there's, there's a process for dealing with that, but yeah, sure. we and don't I, know. And it and could again, be something else. But I think, but, but I think but as, a, not, as a framing device, uh -huh. uh, uh, and I mean, I've been on MSNBC a, a bunch of times where the, you know, I'll come on right after, you know, they've just done a segment about my God, you know, uh, it, there's been at least 733,000 impressions of this Russian propaganda on Facebook. My God, yeah. because Facebook is the magic box. I think my and last so, post got more than and an impression. It's just Meaningless. It's just, all the stuff it's is subway. Ad. It's a garbage. Click, a click is little, a little more meaningful. Yeah, but Maybe. barely. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and and it goes towards this uh, sort of sheep theory sense of what happens if you're exposed to this. It's going right. to change yeah. your behavior. We should basically ignore all of that. Mm -hmm. We really should ignore all of that. Sure. It's, it it didn't affect the election. It just didn't. And if you do ignore that, it's still okay to be like, yeah, Russia is is a bad actor and is it, and did interfere with the election and is trying to do so again. Can, can we do, do I believe that it? Do I, does it really? Does matter whether I believe whether it flipped the election or not. The election was close. We can say that. Uh -huh. But well, like it was but, close, but it's there's, there's virtually should. no universe in which it's responsible for having flipped the election. I, I don't know that posting like creating Black Lives Matter, pro Black Lives Matter Facebook pages and getting people to show up to to rallies on opposite yeah. sides of an and issue. I, I don't think anything that, I don't think anything that Russia to, did with social media 
mattered at yeah. all in the election. But, the, the question is, and this is where you do need a task force. Sure. You should have a task force, um, federal or state or whatever, to make sure that the, your voting system uh, has integrity and so, it's not being hacked. That, so can that's we, fine. Can we talk about that too, though? Because even there, right? Voting machines are generally speaking like not networked all together in any sort of particular way. If someone wanted to have a dramatic impact on the voter rolls, like they would actually have to go to multiple sites and they would have to hack all of these machines. And the machines come in various flavors. Thank so God. in some cases you're using like a USB drive. Mm-hmm. In other cases, you've got to use some other kind of terminal connection. So, so do you think the running different tech software. might be actually something working in our favor right it's now? It's totally that, something that, that, that working like on yeah. it. And the fact that it's the all that it's all not networked mm-hmm. is also working in our favor. And furthermore, it's it's the sort of thing that if someone were to change the numbers in a weird and totally dramatic way, like it would almost certainly look like it when you actually looked at the results afterwards. Um, that it's re- I don't know if we need super duper task force to go after this kind of stuff either, considering the rather low probability that anyone could actually come in and affect some sort of dramatic outcome difference if you know that, that it, could change the course of the night if you know that there is a party that is engaged in this type of behavior i'm sure and, there are plenty and is motive, motivated uh, but one that has a very sure. strong recent track record of doing this as much as it can yeah in places like estonia in places like even france uh and, sure, and sure. hungary and elsewhere um you it makes sense to to try to harden things up however i would i'll, I'll agree with you in that uh uh in two ways one uh, which is that people think that the way to somehow or some people think that the way to protect yourself is to make your system like one federal system like it's yes. the opposite of no, the resilience that. Yeah. that you need it's crazy and then the second thing is that or you go hear- back to paper you hear a lot of people on the kind of john mccain uh, more neoconservative wing of the republican party um uh, and just generalized hawks, uh, and and now of course that means MSNBC and and, and people who uh, you know four years ago were uh, singing a different tune. But um, like, well, we need to fight fire with fire, mm. so we need to be doing like covert nasty stuff into their elections. Like, no, don't do that. Well, that's also, a, that's bad. Also, people remember the nineties. <laughs> like we kind of did that already. Kind of sort of did that. <laughs> yeah, like Boris Yeltsin, ninety six, and the, uh, no, and we should stop. I mean, if anything, it should be a uh, and and this isn't what aboutism or this you know this isn't sort of reflexive blame America firsting. But like, if we hate this, if if we think that this is a bad thing that we don't like other people to do, then okay, let's ask where have we done this, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe answer uh, the the question honestly and say, yeah, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't be expressing preferences in elections uh, with our democratic, uh, you know, uh, military allies, which we have been doing. Uh, the Trump administration is continuing it. They just have different preferences than the Obama administration. But we've been doing this for a really long time. And it's not just places that we kind of don't like. It's places that we do like. It's like, boy, it sure would be great, uh, you know, if, if this party won in Germany instead of that party. Maybe that's not what we should be doing. Uh, and and especially when we have a gigantic kind of spy security cloak and dagger complex that's completely unaccountable and that's been used to, um, uh, you know, in many cases, intervening in elections and toppling governments like, yeah, you know what? Maybe let's not express strong preferences about who other people elect. That's just kind of not um, our essential business. And when we think it is, that's when we start getting involved in other people's crap. And it, it, it can create a bit of a boomerang effect. Hmm. Camille. Hmm. 
Yeah. Is that is that? I mean, am I supposed to say blowback there? Is that what's <laughs> supposed to happen there? Uh, you say boomerang effect. Yeah, I, I, did, not here, so I didn't want to say blowback because I don't like. I understand. Blowback. Yeah, uh, so I suspect the part of the reason why Facebook and Twitter end up getting so much shit is because you have these well-moneyed individuals that operate these companies, and it is fairly easy to have those people be the monstrous bad guys. Um, in addition to the horrible Russians, it's these despicable companies that are making profits um, that and I saw in like one of one of the pieces that was written uh, criticizing Facebook for not having done more um, about these issues. Uh, there was an assertion that Facebook wasn't doing it because they were trying to protect this huge source of revenue for them because the number one spender on political ad do, do, um, campaign stuff during the election was the Trump campaign. So they don't want to they don't want to lose out on that money. Of course, campaign spending in terms of advertising re re revenue is almost certainly a fraction of the total dough that Facebook brings in in any given year. Um, and it's also the case that Facebook has spent many multiples more than they've brought in, according to their own testimony anyways. Um, trying to prevent fake news and trying to to make certain that they're not having people put fake campaign ads on their platform um, than they actually generate in revenue at this point. Like the whole thing seems patently absurd and just feeds into the total like frenzy um, that is taking place largely on the left, but not exclusively. There are some weirdos uh, who we've talked about in the past who are also participating in these conspiracies. But that brings me to something else, Fisher, which is earlier this week, mm -hmm. the president also had a rally in Florida, um, as he is prone to do. It, there's nothing that he seems to enjoy more than pretend that the campaign has not ended uh, and that he is, for some reason, necessarily out on the road in front of the people who love him most cheering. They are, in fact, berating some journalist, probably some guy named Acosta, who is all too happy to be there, mm -hmm. all too happy to have them shower him with vitriol um, and uh, for him to, to be able to demonstrate that he is the victim. And it's very sad what's happened to America. But I'm adding a bunch of color. The thing that stood out to a lot of people, however, were these fucking signs mm -hmm. about Q. Yes. Now, we I know there is some sort of QAnon thing. And Matt, we were talking about this earlier. I don't actually know what the hell it is. Like I'm, I am generally aware that there is some kind of bizarre internet conspiracy that involves like children and some secret plot in which Donald Trump actually knows the truth and he's preparing to go lock up Hillary Clinton. And there are some secret messages that are being dropped in various places on like Reddit threads and all kinds of weird shit that are supposed to, you could piece together the code and figure out Sounds who like the he knows a little bit more than I mean, so far, so I'm good. saying you know, things yeah. like the pedophile, the secret pedophile yeah. network that exists in America. I don't know why anyone would believe this ridiculousness. It's totally absurd, but there were multiple people who either had signs that said like, I am Q mm -hmm. or t-shirts that seemed to indicate the same. And there was at least one person who's routinely at these things who uh, was wearing a, a Blacks for Trump uh, T-shirt or just waving a sign that said Blacks for Trump, which is another weirdo conspiracy, which we just should not get into at all. But Fisher, you seem to know something about this mm. Q thing. You say I'm getting most of this right. What what in what in blazes so, is going on? So here? just like Pizzagate, just like Seth Rich, it's started up on 4chan or 8chan, you mm -hmm. know, which is the, the 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 newer cousin of 4chan, and. A, and a, a, someone 
calling themselves Q, claiming to be a high-level government operative, uh, apparently a, a career member of the deep state, him, him or herself, is dropping what they call uh, what 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 the the QAnon cultists have been calling breadcrumbs, and that you take the breadcrumbs and you make dough out of it, which is not how you make dough. <laughs> and, and that's how you understand the the bigger picture. It's 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 like most conspiracy theories. Uh, uh, people who get really super into them, they really love believing that they know something that everybody else doesn't. That's that's it's stay woke. That's kind of like you know where the you know that before that was used as a you know uh, a term of uh, political enlightenment. It was it was about I I see through the looking glass here. Yeah. So. QAnon's been started. It's been going on for a little less than a year, but it, it's, its roots are almost exactly the same as PizzaGate and the Seth Rich conspiracy. And just like PizzaGate, uh, where it was, uh, the, the theory was that the DNC and Hillary Clinton are running a pedophile ring in the basement of Comet Pizza in Washington D.C. And people believed it. And one crazy dude showed up with a gun, fired it, didn't hit anybody. There is no basement of Comet Pizza. It's obviously a bullshit thing. Uh, but this QAnon thing is. Uh, is really picked it's 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 got the potential to be even a bigger and broader thing among not just crazy people but hardcore trumpists and there's too many of them to call them all crazy people no there there really yeah. isn't though Wait, you don't think I so? mean, you could still call them crazy. I, you know, I never know with you. I never know if I'm going to if I'm going to go too far. Is Kurt Schilling crazy? I think Kurt Schilling's dumb as a box of rocks. I don't know how crazy he is. I, mean, I think I think Roseanne this, Roseanne Barr this, is crazy. Aren't you? Aren't you like kind of crazy if you believe this shit? Like well, this, I mean, is, I mean, this is insane. I mean, the, no, remember, no, a little more than a decade ago, more than, I believe, I forgot how many people uh, overall it was, but it was a majority of Democrats believed there was something to the uh, loose change theory. Yeah, and I, I think they're crazy too. So that's the majority of registered Democrats. That's I like, understand. If they, if that's, that's, I mean, so it's, it's, you know, it's like that, that, uh, that joke. It's like uh, 50, uh, at least 50% of the, uh, the population is below average intelligence, you know, by design. Yes. Uh, so is, are, are, I mean, that's not necessarily it, true, but it, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Is the, is the, uh, is is that the level of you know for insanity? Uh, so let's let's stand. Like I give you a little bit I more QAnon, what you're yeah, a little more, yeah. a little more QAnon, and then we, and then we can kick it around. Uh, but um, among the theories that they believe that JFK Jr. faked his death, uh, there's a whole lot. The, the, there was a pedophile ring at the Hoover Dam, and there's already been a guy who's at shown the Hoover up Dam. Yeah, shown up with what, guns at the Hoover Dam. What what did JFK do after faking his death? JFK Jr. After <laughs> he faking joined his the pedophile death. ring, or was this to to protect the pedophile ring? See. Well, that, we don't really know. It doesn't matter, actually. Yeah, I mean, the, are we, know, are we at the limits of your knowledge? They're, they're, they're selling shirts. Well, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> Amazon, and this is this is the thing that will get Amazon. It, it will be the next thing. I, I, I predict in a couple of days there'll be there'll be a movement to be like Amazon. Why do you have a thousand QAnon shirts for sale on your site? That's going to be a thing. Um, is that not already? I mean, it's stupid, but is yeah. it not already? Uh, JFK Jr. was not a stupid man. He knew what he did to his father. One well-received QAnon Reddit. The JFK Reddit. Jr. killed his father? What? No, they knew what they did to his father. The deep uh, state oh, oh. took I his father. That was going to be a bold, yeah. bold. I mean, so, yeah, so, how old was JFK Jr. when his dad died? Like four yeah. yeah, yeah, but he Saluting but he knew that. Grassy you know, he learned he learned then. <laughs> yeah. So so to 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 move on from this, it's be, because there's no, it, it, you know, you can't you know disprove a negative. You know, there there, there will be no there'll be nothing that um, convinces these people otherwise. And I do believe that this thing will spread. 
I mean, does it wrap up into the Mueller investigation? Like it, it, it buys as a, uh, a basic premise that the deep state is trying to cover up the pedophile ring, and that's why they're going after Trump. Yeah, with the Mueller investigation. Yeah, the here, whole so. the the deep, the deep state uh, was was always against Trump, and Trump is doing what he can with help from people like Q and his allies inside. Right. So yeah, as long as the investigation and then whatever impeachment ha- happens or doesn't happen, it's going to be with us. Mm-hmm. Is, and, is, yeah. is it unfair? Is it unfair for me to say it? Because I, I, I truly believe this at this point that between the most hysterical proponents of Russiagate conspiracies, people who talk about Trump as Putin's apprentice, the, the Manchurian Trump, um, the, 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 the people who believe that that he is not, in fact, the president of the United States because the Russians like, gave him the election. Um, there, there is an element of just totally ridiculous, like thoughtless conspiracy mongering associated with all of that. And I think it's similar. There's a similar sort of strain of just ridiculousness associated with the like Facebook and Twitter, like panic and outrage. It's not merely ignorance. You're not interested in educating yourself on the facts of these issues, or perhaps you're even aware of them, but it doesn't matter that it's only $150,000 of spending on advertising. It's, it's somehow like there is a grand conspiracy and the entire world is on fire and when, we're all going to die. I mean, I think, uh, like, are, are they not kind of the same? Are, is there not like there, just the deep fundamental rot within both of these movements? I don't want to step out onto Jesse Walker's uh, territory who wrote the, the kind of classic book about this. However, um, my sense of conspiracy theories is that they correlate really well to when people are faced with facts that they find inexplicable slash unbearable. Mm. Um, mm. And certainly for many people, just the existence of the Trump administration, Trump as president. I mean, I just even saying that out loud makes me in their camp. Uh, it's sort of uh, inexplicable. It's unbearable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and this is almost even a, a coping mechanism to it. And also mm. those who feel like they are out of power, uh, you know, that they don't have the ability to influence the world's events in any meaningful sense, they're going to be more susceptible to conspiracy theories. So, um, you know, we think the Democrats were terrible uh, for having a disproportionate number of people believe a 9-11 conspiracy theory. And I agree with that. And now go outside of the country and see how much mm. worse it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, France mm. had a best-selling book. Like weeks after? Right? Weeks after saying that there was no uh, 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 crash into the Pentagon, that that was made up. Um, and like on bestseller lists uh, there uh, right right away. And I mean, and if you think about it, if you're a, a French person, maybe that's changed now since Macron is the is the hope of the West uh, and they won the World Cup and all that kind of stuff. But um, generally speaking, the world's affairs do not run through Paris uh, in the way that they once did. Um, hmm. and generally, it's America that kind of uh, exerts itself and also the forces of chaos and whatever that come up uh, bubble underneath that America can't control. But it's you're not in charge. And so you come up with ever more elaborate uh, conspiracies to kind of try to explain this. Um, again, partly to explain, partly to cope, but also because it's fun. Mm. 
this is like that. That's that. That is a horrifying kind of truth to this. That it's it's. I mean, JFK conspiracy theory is is actively oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, the movie JFK is wonderful. <laughs> it's it's perfect. It is actually it's a goddamn it is good actually movie. great music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. really. Uh, is. But like it it it. I mean, it's it's fun to be that person. Yeah, doing the things on the wall and looking like a, looking crazy because yeah. it makes you feel smart mm-hmm. and and you find a community of people. Um, but I think in our current condition. Um, which just kind of gets worse that there's no sense that there's no way that this doesn't get worse. The sense of conspiracy theorizing in this country. I don't think that there's going to be hmm. a, a share in Moonstruck slapping Nicholas Cage across <laughs> the face and saying snap out of it. And suddenly we all come to our senses. I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I mean, I wonder about the I mean, we talked earlier about the the woke the woke apocalypse and the the extent to which sentiments related to identity politics have just become dominant. I mean, even there, like conversations about like white supremacy and the, the need to overthrow these racist superstructures that exist in America. There is a degree to which like the overstatement there, the hysterical overstatement almost feels like a conspiracy. I mean, theory isn't the term of art black paranoia? I mean, that you've, isn't it James Baldwin's birthday? It is James, it is James Baldwin's actually, uh, birthday. Yeah, Gates, Gates of paranoia is the, is the phrase from his, uh, from his book. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is a tremendous amount of paranoia um, that is, endemic in black culture and you weren't but you weren't making that argument i have made that argument in the right past and i and, continue and I, to believe that and i think that there has been more of a, a broader acceptance outside of kind of black intellectualism or the black american experience if i can say a terrible fucking phrase um where the, this is just kind of like the the median atlantic reader um believes this now sure in a way that maybe they didn't 10 years ago yeah intellectualized conspiracy that seems to have some sort of footing in history, but it's, it's the same kind of like, loose relationship with the actual facts of history in some cases, um, as like, someone who is doing, I mean, interpretations do, of current events. From I, scripture. I, forget, I forget if we uh, pass this around, but Deirdre McCloskey, the great uh, economic historian who has a now has a column at the at the reason, but wrote a, a great three part uh, series about the bourgeois virtues and, mm. and, and values out there um, uh, that uh, she posits as being as important, like the culture of uh, bourgeois culture was important to the kind of great enrichment that happened from 1800 on- onward. Hmm. Anyway, she wrote uh, a piece saying that a lot of the recent scholarship and books and popular books about uh, King Cotton uh, have been sure. um completely exaggerating the importance of cotton uh, to capitalism writ large. And this has helped kind of knit together a story that um, chattel slavery was just fundamental to what uh, the spread of capitalism. And so it, it, you can't you can't separate it. Um, uh, uh, those those two things. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think in very convincing uh, detail and not polemic and not like in a way to you know, I, I'm waking up in the morning and trying to, to red pill you into realizing that racism doesn't exist. It's not that. That's not Deirdre McCloskey's uh, point at all. Uh, but just sort of like going through the record and and saying, uh, uh, showing, you know, where right. slavery and when it was eradicated. In other places, how much cotton, uh, you know, uh, evolved here, how this market went. It's a great piece. Go read it. Yeah, yeah. But what but was more interesting was the reaction to it uh, among one of your best friends. 
uh, Camille, um, wrote, wrote a critique of it that that you might have to beep his name out. That <laughs> amounted to Deirdre McCloskey is right, but the problem is that the bad people might use this as a way to excuse racism. Yeah, I, I saw that. Uh, I saw and that. and and that's. Mark, mark, mark my words, bad people will use this as a, as an excuse to support racism. One, I don't even see, I just don't understand how that's true, but okay. But, uh, <laughs> uh I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of Ben Shapiro, uh, inversion here about what facts do and don't care about. Um, but <laughs> like, don't. you should be able, your theory uh-huh. about how the world works, yeah. which might be right. I mean, I don't know. None of us know anything. Um, no, I, I know a little something about this. That's okay, like a, a pretty but absurd. Your theory about how the world works should be able to survive facts, should be able to survive like data that may, might contradict it and whatnot. And you should be able to adjust that theory as necessary instead of um, looking at facts that come up there and don't exactly match up and saying, well, that th- those are bad facts right now, or at least the, the presentation of them is bad because the bad people might uh, look at it wrong. It's that that lends more credence to the idea that, hey, maybe we're getting a little bit hyperbolic with yeah. the way that we're looking yeah. at things. Well, my uh, my new uh, my new young friend Coleman Hughes, who I'm, there's a episode that I've yet to um, edit that will be coming out soon, where I probably reference this as well. So you'll hear me do it more than once. But I had a recent post that was published over at Quillette, um, and it was rather long, uh, but it did touch on this and many other themes. Um, the the notion of sort of uh, slavery um, being central to the growth and prosperity of America and the, the it relates to those themes of sort of King Cotton and, and, and whatnot. And he, he did try to articulate an argument in there that, that is rather consistent with what you were referring to from Deidre McCloskey. Um, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with a lot of that stuff, but we don't have to, we don't have to adjudicate that here. I do think it it's interesting that there are places on this planet where chattel slavery existed in to a much greater extent and degree and existed for longer than it existed here in the United States, like South America, Brazil, um, and those places aren't more prosperous than the United States. Um, that slavery is an institution that existed as a different form in serfdom in Russia. Um, and it existed on a scale that was larger than more expansive than the United States. Um, and it certainly didn't have the same kind of consequence. Slavery was certainly supercharged by capitalism, um, by the market system to the extent it was embraced by the by the United States. Um, but so was everything. Like everything was. And to the extent they were successful, that might have had something to do with some of the other policies that existed um, and not merely the fact that they utilized slave labor, which is often described as free. But it's not really how things work. Thank you still have to pay. It's still expensive. And the slaves were not merely um, inputs. Like they had a will and they would routinely do things to make life difficult for plantation owners um, because they weren't uh, just these, these people who were victims all the time. They did their best to try and have some autonomy in their circumstance. Um, so yeah, I said I wouldn't muse on that, but I did a little bit. Anyways, um, we can't stay late because our engineer has to get out of here at some point. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe we push a little bit further, uh, get away from some of the more challenging uh, racial issues that I've managed to sneak into this conversation. In fact, it's sort of taking over the conversation. Um, 
there is one other thing that seems to be going on. I mean, Donald Trump is always tweeting a bunch of things. This week, he is tweeting about um, the current Manafort trial, um, which is kicked off this week. And the only thing that I think is worth saying about the Manafort trial is none of the things. It is a consequence of the Mueller investigation and in that this is the reason why this is all playing out right now. But the things that he is on trial for are not things that are related to the campaign it's stuff related to tax evasion and all sorts of shadowy dealings that he had with foreign governments where he was taking money, seemingly laundering it, um, getting loans by lying on loan applications about his income and the assets that he had um, and engaging in weird transactions where he was doing things with rugs and uh, just don't even ostrich know how to explain vests. it. Yeah, yeah ostrich vests. Uh, it, all the testimony today was all about his spending habits, his extravagant um, spending habits, which yeah, pretty damn respectable. He's, he was balling. Um, but uh, shit seems to have gotten into, gotten him into some trouble. He's facing many, many counts. Again, none of them seem to relate to the to the Russia investigation. Um, so Donald Trump I, I has made I think some reference to that. It might be maybe you follow this closer than I do, but uh-huh. uh, which I've been on vacation. But yeah, um, I, I think it's still like we're not sure um, uh, if if they do or not. Like if if he's well, it doesn't seem like any of the charges do in any sort of meaningful sense. No, the charges are all for old stuff. Yeah, but. The fact that the guy became Donald Trump's campaign manager a few months before the election and has extensive Russian contacts and uh-huh. was doing illegal lobbying while not being a registered agent of other governments, big deal. You know, whether like you're absolutely right. The charges themselves, the trial sure. itself is yeah, not I'm, about anything. I'm to do not with saying. You know. Yeah, I'm not saying that he shouldn't be on trial for those things. Yeah. Um, he's a he's a shady motherfucker um, who ought to have gotten in trouble perhaps a bit sooner. Um, and the fact that he's in trouble now, I mean, is only so interesting. The The question for me is the degree to which this is, wow, you know, this is the, it's the first domino has fallen. Um, one might have expected if he knew something that there might have been some sort of turning on Trump. We don't know. I don't know. But in either case, Donald Trump has tweeted about that this week, suggesting that if the administration knew that he was such a bad guy, why didn't they tell him? This is kind of bullshit. Um, well, there was the Al Capone tweet. Alphonse. Looking back on history, who was treated worse, Alphonse Capone, legendary mob boss killer and, quote, public enemy number one, or Paul Manafort, political operative and Reagan dole darling, now serving solitary confinement, although convicted of nothing? Where is the Russian collusion? How many likes and retweets does that have? Uh, We got... 18,000 retweets, 67,000 likes, and 31,000 responses, I believe all of which are from the Krasenstein brothers. (laughs) That doesn't make... Any sense at all? It's yeah. not the least bit helpful to his cause. This is, you know, this is this is what two hundred eighty characters was yeah. for. Um, but yeah, the Al, Al, I, we nobody ever that. calls him Alphonse Capone. Yeah, well, but again, he's yeah. confusing it with Alfonso Soriano <laughs> or, or Alphonse D'Amato. He's, he's also sure. called on uh, on Sessions, uh, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States, to uh, to shut down this witch hunt of an investigation. Um, and, uh, apparently also, uh, thanking Mr. Kim in North Korea mm-hmm. for being such a good guy, Chairman a Kim. good all around chap, um, and, uh, working hard to denuclearize the North Korean peninsula, um, despite, uh, some reports to the contrary. So he's been very active this week. Um, I, I wonder gentlemen, what you make out of all of this stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm generally skeptical of most of the things related to the collusion investigation. I don't expect much to materialize. It's possible something might, but it's honestly the the reason that it's so difficult is because I just don't think these people are that bright. 
And if there was something to know here, it feels like they would have screwed this up a very long time ago and everyone would know everything. It certainly doesn't every, seem I mean, like they they've screwed up a lot. Yeah. Already. They I mean, have. The, yeah. There's how many different explanations have there been for one stupid meeting at, the, yeah. at Trump Tower at yeah. this point? It's a it's amazing. And also the rationalizations have mm-hmm. evolved, you know, from from no collusion to yeah, everybody colludes to collusion is not a crime to collusion's good because Hillary Clinton was that bad. Yeah. And uh, I, to the degree to which those are rationalizations and those are just various ways to try to explain away yeah. this current scandal incredibly sloppily yeah. like ham-fisted this is rudy giuliani just in one know. morning really, yeah you know, and i mean rudy giuliani has been i can't imagine like a worst spokesperson to have <laughs> like advocating on your behalf in public well i mean yeah i mean the president I mean, sure you know did he fuck the porn star yeah he's fucking porn stars the thing about rudy is even yeah, at, even know, at the height of his popularity deal. it wasn't charm that yeah. like made him popular, <laughs> right? it was that he was a hard ass <laughs> right and and right now he's a spokesperson is supposed to be charming at, or, at the, or at the very least a convincing liar. And he's neither of those things no. he, because he, even if he wasn't as incapable of keeping all his lies, you know, together in, in, in a single morning where he does a blitz of media appearances, yeah. he's not capable of selling it. The thing that uh, that has been uh, bugging me has been the uh, Republican uh, uh, kind of ass covering for Trump on this, particularly <laughs> some of uh, the people who had uh, heretofore described themselves as constitutional conservatives, people who use the phrase witch hunt here. Um, it might turn out to be a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. It might. I, we don't know. We just don't know. We don't know what Mueller has. We don't know what the, what the end game uh, here is going to be. We do know that there's been, I don't know how many indictments by now and, and some convictions and some trials. Um, there also were in, uh, you know, Whitewater too, so mm-hmm. which is not generally uh, looked at as a completely serious investigation in our collective memory. So, and Michael Cohen's an X factor that we still don't know what's will come of that. I mean, uh, we yeah, don't know, but yeah, like maybe. to, but if you are a, a sitting member of the legislative branch, mm-hmm. one who uh, describes himself as a constitutional conservative, and in fact, um, spent a lot of time during the Obama administration. Uh, saying how it's really important for the legislative branch to uh, apply scrutiny to the behavior and the self-justifications of the executive branch. And you're walking around using the term witch hunt as Rand Paul has done, uh-huh. as Mark Meadows has done, as Jim Jordan has done. Um, that, that sucks. You're car- John Bolton, did you see this? John Bolton, uh, I, I, he came out to announce uh, that uh, – that there wasn't going to be another uh, Putin-Trump summit because there was supposed to be another one at the White House. And uh, and the way that he did it was like, oh, we're not going to do this, uh, not while we still have this um, phony witch hunt. Uh, going <laughs> it's like the amount Call of, it a witch hunt, John. The, Call it a witch hunt. But like that's the price of doing business. The yeah. Rand Paul gets his fucking round of golf with Trump because he calls it a witch hunt. And so, and, and so that you ingratiate yourself to the president by doing that. And then you can maybe – kind of sort of convince him of, of this other thing that you want or, or talk him out of this other thing that you don't want. Um, but it's gross. It's but just is, gross. Is, is it is it similarly, is it gr- more gross or is it on par with people who are watching this investigation proceed from afar, people who have some knowledge of this because they are in Congress and they're occasionally getting briefings on the sort of status of things. It's the Congress people and their aides that seem to be perhaps leaking uh, details to the press on a pretty regular basis as they find out about stuff. Um, 
suggesting that we're, we're almost there now. I mean, we very, very nearly got this. I mean, this is this is it. This is the thing. I mean, the, the other shoe is dropping now. There's what's something more, what's more gross is when the legislative cups the balls of the executive. Yeah. Especially when they're supposed to be constitutional conservatives or whatever the hell they were talking about. Yeah. That's more gross. I want my branches of government to be adversarial, yeah. period. And they're not being right now. And what about the the notion that, you know, you have these sort of independent, in, independent counsel investigator types who well, is a special effectively counsel. sure different than independent counsel. Yes, this is this is fair. To the extent that they are operating under very broad mandate, like turning over all kinds of stones and rocks. I mean, I am all for the controversy on some level because I think it is useful to sort of trip up the Trump administration and make things difficult for them. I still think most of this seems pretty silly to me. Well, but even without collusion, it could be useful. But there's something about that you? that seems strange. Would it no? stun you if this gang of you know the you know bumbling idiots obstructed? You know, with that, like that, that's that could very well no, be. What, but that's that's only because it's so easy to do. Well, well you know, that, <laughs> remember, remember where Whitewater led. The, re, the, the what, what ended up, you know, not that Clinton was undone, but the reason he was disbarred and censured was obstruction. And uh, this, you know, the from you know Trump's, you know, dictating the, uh, the Donald Jr.'s letter about the meeting, all mm -hmm. this stuff. You know, I don't know where it rises to, but I think it's far more likely that. Some if if there was any illegality, it probably came through in obstruction, either willful or clumsy, uh, more than it's likely that there was a grand conspiracy of collusion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I, not an attorney. I don't know if there has to be a crime in order for there to be obstruction. Um, there doesn't have like to be a, have a crime. To, there doesn't I, have I, to I, be? I think I uh, I mean, no. Do okay. men's rage. Uh, does that apply there? Um <laughs> I don't know. I, th I think that <laughs> Giuliani has spent a lot of time uh, in, in, the, in the Trump defense uh, talking about uh, obstruction charges mm. because um, for the same reason that we just talked about it in this way. Like mm -hmm. it feels like it, it feels kind of phony on some level. It feels like a perjury charge. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's about how you reacted to the investigation. Yeah. Um, um, I th think that there's going to be more than obstruction charges for that. We The leaks – most of the leaks, I think, right now are coming out of uh, Giuliani and the Trump administration. Some, as you were nodding to, are coming out of like the Adam Schiff's of the world. Mm -hmm. But I don't think much is coming out of Mueller. Uh, and I, I, I presume that there's going to be at least some collusion so, stuff in there. Um, at least in, in terms of charging, I don't know where it's going to go. You said some collusion stuff. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be pure obstruction. The 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 the, the final. Uh, bill uh, related particulars. to related to what exactly uh, you can collude with someone who did an illegal um, uh, break in of the DNC's like the, 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 something along uh, illegally obtaining and the disseminating this information uh, from a, 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 a geopolitical adversary um, can be illegal uh, if you were if you were part of that uh, mm -hmm. process and negotiation, um, you lied about it too, and all that kind of stuff. But that you benefited from and greased the wheels of an act that was de facto criminal that makes you a colluder to it. That's how it's been explained to me by those people who pay attention to it. It seems like uh, just any version of that, based on what we've heard so far. And again, you, you're you're correct. We are talking about something knowing not at all how much we don't know. Um, based on what's out there, it just seems like 
so torturous to make an argument that these people who had a meeting at Trump Tower who they don't see that there's any sort of strong evidence that they got that they directed and instructed them to do things. The timeline just doesn't make a lot of sense because um, the, as I understand it, like no one was talking about the DNC break-ins or anything like that, or the Russians being involved at the time that this Russian adoption meeting took place. Um, and subsequent to that, like, I, I just, I haven't seen anything that suggests that they directed the Russians to send these emails to anyone. Like it just, it's hard for me to believe that. I mean, that said, you know, when you ask, when you ask, um, uh, uh, Comey to see your way through to letting go of the Flynn investigation. I mean, is that obstruction? I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe like it just, it seems, it seems like a bit of a stretch to me, but maybe, maybe so. I mean, we'll see. I, I think we, I, I have no idea. We don't know. We don't know what they have. So it's, yeah. it, it's kind of speculative. It's a bit of a moot point. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap things up so we can get our engineer out of well, here. Well, Matt, you had a couple got, of, a uh, couple items now. Uh, just a, a super quick, um, uh, some idiot wrote this. Um, there was a movie out that uh, inexplicably got nominated for like a half a dozen uh, Academy Awards uh, last time around uh, called Phantom Thread. Did you see it? I did. Fish? Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, right? Yeah. yeah it was, D- Daniel Day's suppo- Daniel Day Lewis's supposedly last film. This is, this is not the first time. D- this is yeah, no, it's not. Don't buy it for 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 a second. Um, it's a, it's like a, a pretty nice, really small, uh, little movie about, uh, uh, a, a tailor, a uh, high fashion tailor in England in the 1950s. Um, very, uh, fastidious, um, does stuff for royalty, mm-hmm. um, is an artist, very exacting. He runs a tight household, uh, his, uh, and, and kind of a thing here. And, and, uh, it kind of goes through a series of, of uh, women and should you be saying spoiler alert because it sounds like you're just going to give the whole thing I am. away. Okay, <laughs> um, and so then falls under the spell, or you know, he, he becomes enamored of a muse who's some kind of indescript foreigner wa- uh, waitress uh, at a restaurant and <laughs> exotic uh, beauty. I think was it from like Luxembourg for. or like yeah, some tiny yeah. country? Yeah. Um, very exotic, which is not a, a explained. And and so he's he becomes fascinated, and he and she becomes his model, and mm. kind of moves into the house. And it's about their strange uh, relationship. He's a little bit older, she's younger, um, and it's nicely observed. And here's the real big spoiler alert: um, it just weirdly in the last like third of the movie, she just starts poisoning him with mushrooms, um, and it becomes a way to seal their love. It's just it, it's it's kind of off putting. Anyways, <laughs> poisoning him and nursing him back to health. Yeah, yeah. Um, and which, well, he was losing he was losing interest in her. Yeah, and it was yeah. kind of the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, so I, I, I'm kind of curious to see what the critical reaction is uh, to this movie, uh-huh. and and also whether maybe the especially at the, the end, the last uh, sort of omelet poisoning there uh, is seen as actually more of a dream sequence, and maybe she actually killed him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just trying to see what's going on there. And the first thing that comes up, absolute first thing that comes up in this, uh, in my Google search is. Why this is in the New Yorker, and this is because you were curious, so you were looking. For yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's look at Phantom Thread. You know, critic okay. appraisal, whatever. Okay. Why Phantom Thread is propaganda for toxic masculinity? Oh, 
That's that's what they got out of it. That that oh. was that was this by Alexander Hemon, uh, who turns out to be some kind of goddamn Yugoslav. Huh. Um, and it's this long thing uh, saying, you know, this is this is basically equivalent to Harvey Weinstein. And I, I bring this I, up. Did, we did not see huh? the same movie at I all. I bring this up since you guys saw this movie. This is helpful. Like the dude's pretty much gay. <laughs> it's the movie starts with him clipping his own goddamn nose hair and like pulling up his stupid red socks. He's talking about his mom all the time, who he reveres, who he like tells his new muse, like, oh, it's really important to love your mother. Uh, his sister lives with him and kind of like runs the household and this yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's not really clear. There's a lot of physical affection between the two. Um, he calls himself a confirmed bachelor for mm -hmm. crying out yeah. loud. That's not Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. It's not like saying, Hey, come over here. I'm going to jack off on a plant. It's like, that's it's not like, what he's happened. A he's obnoxious and fastidious about things. Yeah. He doesn't like the yeah. way she makes, you know, uh, you know, her side dishes aren't he's, very he's, good. He's, he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. He's not actually a misogynist. He's yeah. just only surrounded by women. And even at his like so lowest point. he's an asshole. Since too. we're spoiling everything, even at like one of his <laughs> low, lowest points, um, when, you know, he's talking shit about the woman and she's standing right behind him. Like when that, when, when it's, when it, when it becomes clear to him that he's, he's, you know, every, she's heard everything he said and he's totally humiliated. And the person he's been talking to didn't tip him off that she's standing behind him. She, he is just like sunken. And even the way like Paul Thomas Anderson like framed that shot, he looks small. And Paul, I mean, Daniel Day Lewis is a big guy. He looks like miniature in that seat. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a guy being emasculated, not, you know, by himself really, by his own, you know, actions. He's, it's not, like he's a predator. I don't know how you get that out of this. And 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 also, I mean, it's it's a portrait, would however weird of of a relationship which I think many of us have seen over time, or at least have observed in in documentaries. You know, if you are if you're David Bowie or whatever, if you're a successful artist uh, on some level. You're kind of a dick in your personal life and you're going to be hanging out with a bunch of young hotties and th that relationship is going to be weird. There's going to be some like strange mutual trade offs. It's it's very interesting to probe. It doesn't make you a rapist. It may. I mean, there's something kind of uh, uh, sick about it or, or, or strange from our own conceptions. We tend to be married to people who are our age and our peers. And it's just, you know, they don't serve us uh, in the same way. Hmm. But that also makes it worthy of artistic exploration. It's not Harvey Weinstein. It's amazing. This is the New Yorker. This so did you read the whole New Yorker piece? Yeah. Like, so is there like is, is there any like uh -huh theory that goes beyond just that stupid headline? Uh, pretty much no. Um, it's, uh, it's that, it's 40, that 40,000 words salad. It's not even that, uh, it's not even that long. Um, perhaps one man's sexual politics, however reactionary do not mount to an, uh, an ideology. Right? What is uh, it? What is it? It's, it's basically that, uh, he's pissed off that, uh, that people were treating this film too rapturously and not understanding that underneath it and in our Me Too movement, we should we should properly uh, identify this as the toxic masculinity. It is there. There is a there is a point that you can make in there, um, which is that, hey, there's something kind of messed up about that relationship. Um, OK, that's true. And there's even like it tilts to the male, all of which is is true. But then to call it toxic masculinity in the way that that phrase is used in a modern context and to explicitly compare it to Harvey Weinstein, Jesus Christ, people get a grip. Yeah. You could yeah. almost say that they've lost the thread. Oh, hey, boom. That was pretty good. I, I do want to say again, uh, There Will Be Blood is among my favorite movies. 
certainly the best of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, my estimation. And my very favorite scene is Daniel Day-Lewis with his supposed brother, like sitting at this fire. And then it's the monologue that starts out with him saying, I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. And I, I could certainly relate to that. And he goes on and I hate most people. And I was like, yeah, I believe that shit too. <laughs> there are times when I look at people and I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly what he says, but, but it, it ends with him talking about how he, he can't keep doing this on his own with these people. And I feel like that a lot. Mm. I do. I don't know if he's the hero of that story. I feel aggressed by what Camille just said. I'm not talking about you guys. I like you guys. Uh, We're at the fire. Just don't let me find out that you're pretending to be my brother. uh, Like uh, a little like classic on. uh, No, I'm not the biggest Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I'm a little critical of some of the stuff, but I love The Master, which is the one that nobody ever talks about. Uh, And it might be just because I love. It's not a bad film. It's. I found it hypnotic. I thought it was maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman's best, you know, lead role. Hmm. And uh, you know, there's a obviously it's a it's a very thinly veiled uh, L. Ron Hubbard Scientology story, and I'm just big. You know, I'm really big into you know, cults and things like that. And I just thought this was like the coolest way to tell this pretty familiar story where there's been a lot of, you know, documentaries and books written about it, but doing it as its own singular piece of art and making it a character study basically yeah. about uh, the master and his apprentice. I thought that was, uh, I, I love that movie. I, I liked that film. I did fall asleep when I went to see it the first time, largely because it was a very long day. What's interesting about this story, however, is that I was sitting next to fucking Common in the movie theater in New York snoring like a bastard (laughs) while he was trying to watch this movie Um, it's uh, yeah that's dignity it is it is fine fine fellow I am anyways uh, should we get out of here let's go did you did you want to do anything oh did you have something else that was that was kind of I mean the other other thing if we have one minute go for it um Andrea Rich uh, died yesterday, uh, uh, passed away yesterday. She's an absolute lioness of the libertarian movement, a really sweet, wonderful human being. She threw a party for us in Philadelphia for the independence oh, um, uh, back, yeah. in, back in the day. Um, uh, uh, her known mostly for um, being the, uh, the publisher of uh, uh, Lazy Fair Books. For mm-hmm. 23 years. Pre-internet, if you wanted to get a Milton Friedman book. It actually want... sounds like you said lazy fair. That's how I pronounce lazy it. Lazy fair. Yeah, lazy fair. And it's you just, just come back some from- some passive aggressive anti-French stuff. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. you just yeah. came back from yeah. French. <laughs> lazy <laughs> fair books. Lazy uh, fair. <laughs> wonderful woman. Go look at the obits that are circulating, circular- <laughs> <laughs> including by uh, Brian uh, Doherty on- uh, Two uh, Sam Adams in. At, uh, it's just two, really. Uh, on uh, unreason, uh, but uh, a wonderful woman uh, was the chairman of the Libertarian Party in New York in 1976. I learned today at the funeral, David Bowes mentioned that um, she helped raise money along with Randy Barnett to uh, create some kind of statue or memorial for Lysander Spooner. This will warm up Camille Foster's that, that heart. That makes me very happy. Um, uh, and I was pretty this, sure you were going to say something about Robert E. Lee. I was going to say, well, that's, <laughs> that wasn't a popular choice. Um, but but if Lysander you Spooner was also anti-Civil War. If you don't know uh, Andrea Rich, uh, please Google her and learn about her. She was a very, very sweet woman. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we miss her. The end. Sad. But uh, she she lived a, a very full life, and she built a Lysander Spooner statue. So I'm I'm grateful for that. More people should know who that is. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Late. Wait, 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 wait.
Trojan Hawk.